0: Oh, and welcome to AGBHD Radio Broadcasting from the Morton Studio today.
1: I'm Darren Hefty and I'm Brian Hefty. thanks for joining us. Today in the show we're going to talk a little about fungicides, corn, fungicides in particular, but many of these fungicides can be used on a variety of crops. So we'll talk through how to best make fungicides work and also talk a little about some of the product shortages there are out there this year and some of the things you could potentially switch to. If you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm right now, our number here 44 AGPHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a second. Before we do, I mentioned product supply issues. I just had a meeting with a number of people this morning, and what I'm kind of hearing is, By this summer, expect a lot of fungicides to be sold out. Now, it's hard to know for sure if those fungicides will actually go on the ground because just like last year, I think a lot of us intended to spray more fungicides. But then, like in my area, we had drought. So you go, yeah, is it really worth spraying a fungicide when we have drought? Maybe, maybe not. But You just have to look at the odds and say, okay, chances are we're going to have a little more in-season rain this year than we did last year in much of the Midwest. So since commodity prices are good, and since we know fungicides can pay very well when commodity prices are good and there is some moisture out there, so there's at least some threat of disease, we think there's going to be tremendous demand. The problem is, as you know, there are a lot of supply issues this year bsf is perhaps the leading fungicide company out there and our estimation at this point is they're only going to have about 75 percent of the product that they had for sale last year because they've had a lot of supply problems so if you look at that and say you know what we think fungicide use could be up 10 or 20 percent from last year which i think is a fair number and we've got the number one company being down 25 percent in supply that's not good math So what that means is a lot of people are scrambling, and already we see this today. People are turning to Bayer, Syngenta, FMC, a lot of other companies looking for fungicides. So that's one of the big things we'll talk about today. Okay, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren.
0: All right, get this one from... Ben in North Dakota, he said, I've got a yearly contract in this ground. I'm wondering what your ideas would be for fertilizing this ground to correct levels for barley this year. I do have some drainage issues due to spring water backing up in a county ditch in the southeast corner, which I've been trying to get fixed, but this can be a slow process sometimes. Brent, I just glanced at the test. I didn't see any N, P, or K, or zinc. Nope. No. And I thought, okay, and you got a yearly contract and you've got a crop like barley that mm-hmm. uh, if you were doing a row crop, I'd say, oh, easy, I'm going to band. Right. And I'm going to put out what I need. But for yep. barley,
1: how, how do you do that? Well, it's tough. So honestly, if it's me, I'm going to the landlord and I'm going to show him this test and say, look, there's no P, no K, no nothing here. And that's what happens when you have short-term rental contracts. And, and I just and say, there's a drainage problem. It's going to cost some money to get fixed. Right. And I just say, look, we'd, we'd love to farm your ground. Now, I don't know if you do or not. So I'm, I'll just say, let's pretend this was me and let's pretend that I actually want to farm this ground for a while. I would go to the landlord and say, look, I'd really like to farm this ground forever. And eventually, when you decide to sell it 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, I'd like to buy it. But in the meantime... I'd really like to build this ground up because here's what's happening right now. If we let the ground continue to go the direction that it's going today, eventually we're going to have a major problem here because drainage typically leads to more sodium in the field. More sodium means we've got issues with our soil overall, and eventually we have more sodium, more salt, and our soil ends up dead. And you can kind of see it when your chloride, your sulfur, some of these leachable numbers, they're off the charts high. So we know we have a drainage problem, and it's not just that this water needs to get away on the soil surface. It's an internal drainage problem, meaning you need tile. And then I look at this and say, yeah, you've got a high pH, but the nutrients are out of balance, and that's why the pH is so high. Your base saturation K is at 1. It needs to be at 4 minimum. Your phosphorus level is at 2. And personally, for me, I'd like it to be at least at 50. I mean, personally, I'd rather have it at 100, but at least at 50. And when you start getting some of these nutrients in balance, Darren mentioned zinc, too. It's at a quarter part per million. Well it's really hard to raise a great crop of anything with a quarter part per million of, of zinc. Copper is one of the things, too. You're at 0.45 parts per million. That should be three in barley. If it is, you're going to see a lot better tolerance to diseases, and you're going to have better standability and everything else. So, yeah, I, I if you can't get anything worked out with a long with a landlord long-term, then this is tough ground to farm. It really is. I, I, I don't know what to tell you because... When you have to broadcast for your fertilizer for barley, since you're not in a row crop, you're going to get a bunch of tie up out there. You're going to put fertilizer out that's some of it's not going to get used. But I just I don't know what else to do. That that's that's what I would do. And it's going to have to be a blend of a whole bunch of things because you're short on almost everything other than those couple of leachables that I mentioned already, like sulfur. So I do everything I possibly could. To help the landlord understand where we're at and look long term, here's where I want to go and I want to make your ground more valuable.
0: All right, uh, you got to get your calculator out for this next one, Brian. So this one comes from Claire in Michigan. She said the University of Michigan recommends we use 1.4 as our removal rate of potassium. For each bushel of soybeans, we're raising 60 bushel beans, that would be 84 units, or 140 pounds of actual 0060 by my calculation. And she said, one question for you, if we're using the Ag PhD app, is your removal rate units or actual pounds of product? 60 bushel soybeans would be 70.8 K2O potassium for the grain and 60 for the stover.
1: Uh, it's actually well uh, if you look at it it's whatever we say that it is right there so it tells you it literally tells you on the app what we're talking about so when we go to potassium that's units of k2o potassium okay or phosphate it's phosphate pounds or nitrogen it's nitrogen pounds sulfur pounds so what it says in the app is exactly what it is stay tuned we'll be right back Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event?
2: You may need to consider a better burn-down regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your
0: cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther Power in your tank.
2: During the Bronze Age, grain sorghum was a common crop in developing agriculture. Today's technology has changed virtually everything, but grain sorghum largely hasn't changed, until now. Introducing Emiflex Herbicide. Paired with iGrowth non-GMO herbicide-resistant grain sorghum, this duo controls foxtail and other tough weeds pre- and post-emergence, so you can grow like never before. Make history in your sorghum makers. Start today at sorghumpotential.com. Always read and follow label directions. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge Herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states.
0: Welcome back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Martin studio today talking about corn fungicides. It was actually a pretty popular topic uh, down at Commodity Classic last week. A lot of guys talking about disease control with some of the tough diseases out there like tar spot being a, a real uh, big point of discussion and then also just fungicide availability which products to use, some different modes of action. There's, there's just a lot of stuff going on in this field right now. Uh, Brian, did you want to jump into the fungicide discussion or you want to talk just a little bit more about that last well, question? Okay,
1: so this question that that Darren had for me before the break, he, um, I said, well, wait a second. It, we, you started out with, hey, I got to run my calculator, but then there was no calculator question. I think where Darren was going with this is when he heard, well, wait a second. 60 bushel beans takes off 84 units. That's not right. That, that It's, it, well, anyway. What it takes for 60 bushel beans for the grain is 71 units of K2O potassium. That is not K. All right. In order to get K, you have to divide by 1.2. So anyway, nevertheless, um, yeah, that's a it's a lower figure than what, what you're talking about there. But that's the grain removal. Stover removal 60 units of K2O potassium. So let's keep in mind, K is not K2O. To get K2O, you multiply K times 1.2. So just for example, if they're saying it takes off 84 units, 84 units of what? K or K2O? We talk K2O because that's how everybody talks, but if you're talking 84 units of K, well, actual product then, OO60 is not OO60, it's OO50 if we're talking actual K. So I realize you might be listening and going, what the heck is he talking about? This is getting pretty confusing. Okay, let me make it super simple for you. K is not the same thing as K2O. K, in order to get K2O, you have to multiply K times 1.2. So, therefore, potash, yes, we say it's 0060. That 60 is K2O. If we're talking actual K, actual potassium, it's only 50% actual potassium. So, anyway, go ahead there, Darren.
0: All right, let's dive into the discussion here on corn fungicides, and we'll start off in northern Illinois. We've got Jim Donnelly with us, who works with DeKalb Asker as a technical agronomist. And Jim, uh, uh, th- first of all, thanks for joining us.
3: Hey, you bet. Anytime.
0: All right, and, and then when I think about uh, technical agronomist, I'm sure you're getting lots of questions of, what do I do about some of these tough diseases out here, and how can I improve <laughs> plant health? And, and corn fungicides can certainly be a part of that discussion.
3: No, absolutely, and and they've been a, a part of the discussion for a while, right? But um, you know, especially when we're talking about you know things like tar spot, absolutely, um, you know, fungicides are are going to play and have played a, a pretty big role, especially especially here in northern Illinois, where it's it's been a pretty big deal for a number of years now.
0: You know, when we look at at some of the different diseases that are out there, it seems like about every farmer you talk to as you head around the country, they may have some different local flavor. But even the guys that aren't in tar spot areas are talking about tar spot now because it's kind of like Asian soybean rust was back in the day, too, that people were nervous. What are you learning about this when when you kind of get thrown into this? And and, uh, I'm sure a lot of people are turning to you for advice.
3: Yeah, so uh, you know, first and foremost, I think you know the biggest thing uh, we're learning is that that fungicides do work; <laughs> they're they're a very important tool. And and I would say that in any area where where they they get it bad the first time, um, it, sometimes there's circumstances where maybe there was a, a misapplication or it was heavy enough that that even you know one trip didn't do it. Um, there's there's the misinterpretation that that the fungicides aren't doing anything, which in in reality they are. It just tends to be a a pretty aggressive disease. So, um, you know, at at that time, you know, timing becomes important. Application quality becomes important. Just some things that, that maybe we've taken for granted in the past that we have to pay a little bit more attention to, uh, with this one in particular.
0: No doubt about that. The other question that we get a lot, and and this may be one you get to touch on some too, uh, is the breeding and what's happening with the corn breeders. I, I know some of the breeders that work at bear and I know this is mm-hmm. high on their list of priorities of improving <laughs> hybrid tolerance. And they're already seeing some of the hybrids now with better ratings than what we had just a couple of years ago. So what are you seeing, Jim? you, you get to see stuff uh, pretty early on in the process.
3: Yeah, so, um, and I would say that, you know, really, and, and this is kind of industry-wide, but really the, the first year that we started to to get a pretty heavy, um, that was that was in 2018, um, you know, we saw differences then um, where, where we had products that were a little better, the product that were average, and, and products that were uh, below average. So, you know, even back then, we saw some disparity um, I, I would say that when we look at products that are coming down the pipe, um, there are certainly more and more options uh, that are floating to the top uh, that we can choose from and, and bring into a bag um, for, for a farmer's field.
0: Yeah, it is exciting, the just the abilities now of making all these observations and, and getting to know just so in-depth these hybrids as they're being developed to try to identify better disease tolerance coming up. And and like you mentioned, Jim, just knowing which ones, okay, these ones are above average. Let's keep working more on some of those crosses and some of those inbreds and, and bring better products. So we really appreciate the info, Jim. Good luck to you here. Spring is right around the corner.
3: It sure is. It's really feeling like it. 50 degrees down here. And uh it uh it makes a guy nervous, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: bet. Well, we got more warm weather heading your way. So uh thanks a lot, Jim. Really appreciate having you on.
3: You bet. Thanks, Darren.
0: i uh, have got Brandon Shraggy with us right now down in Nebraska. He's with FMC. And Brandon, uh you get probably the most questions about Zyway, I'm guessing, when it comes to corn fungicides right now.
4: Yeah, I I I'd say that's the case. It's it's definitely new. It's a buzzword, and so that that Encompasses a good part of the discussion, but there's still a lot of foliar options out there as well.
0: That's true. That's true. Um, on the Zaiway piece, uh, we've been using it through the Thrive 3D system on our farm. We really like that. What's been your experience with that? Have you found a better way to get more out of that product?
4: Well, so it's just really going to depend on your cropping system. A lot of guys like the Thrive system. That foaming formulation allows you to haul around less water. Um, it's quick connect, so it's easy to mix. But the reality is is that the active ingredient in the Zyway 3D is the same um, as the Zyway LFR. So if guys are more prone to want to use liquid systems for starter fertilizers, um, or maybe they're very happy with your aerial program, you know, there's the TopGuard EQ, Cento. So when you say is there a better way to use um, a, a given fungicide, it, it, the answer is yes, but it's going to depend highly on what those guys are doing as far as an operating system. So I've even got growers who are using the Thrive technology to go in furrow with the foaming uh, formulation, but then they also like to use, you know, 28, 32, um, or maybe some higher salt index fertilizers that they want to kick off the row in a two-by-two. So there's a lot of adaptability there, and that's the idea, is to have more options um, so guys can customize, because I'm afraid we've entered the age where the one-size-fits-all scheme is no longer going to work.
0: No, that's for sure. And and you look at post-emerge, it's kind of the same thing. There's a lot of growers going away from Strabilier in chemistry just because they've seen too much disease resistance or or ex- certainly tolerance. You get some other options there too.
4: That's right. And, and they're namely Top Guard, EQ Lucento. You know, you mentioned Tar Spot in that earlier segment. Both are labeled for control of that pest. But we know that in really heavy pressures, it's going to take multiple applications. But I'll tell you something else. Uh, we get really caught up in the idea of you know modes of action and, and whether or not all, all the active ingredients, as long as they fall under a group 3, 7, and or 11, then we're good to go. Uh, but you've got to look at the differences between those active ingredients within those modes of action, because there's huge differences in terms of solubility, uh, residual half-life, affinity for those binding sites. And so we're really going to have to become, and I hope the growers are encouraged to become their own researchers. Um, They're going to have to become their own scientists in understanding, you know, residue management, um, application technology, as well as using the right active ingredients for the job.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of things to get the most out of fungicides. And I know Jim Donnelly had hit on a few of those things. Brandon Schrage certainly hits on a few more. Uh, The corn fungicide piece is a big topic going into this season. Brandon, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Talking corn fungicides, as you can tell, on today's Ag PhD radio show and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD.
4: The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit MortonBuildings.com.
2: Protect your empire, rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use-rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions.
5: This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight.
2: Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact Emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed to soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. AgPhD has one mission to give you the
0: knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the AgPhD Insider magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the AgPHD Insider at agphdinsider.com.
1: Soybean growers are dealing a swift blow to tough broad leaves and grasses with the two-in-one power of Moccasin MTZ. Moccasin MTZ combines the power of S-metolichlor and a higher load of Metribuzin for outstanding weed control right from the outset. With extended residual control to keep tough weeds down, including pigweed, waterhemp, ragweed, and mare's tail, In addition to annual grasses like boxtail and barnyard grass, ask your retailer about Moccasin MTZ. And always read and follow label directions.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio talking corn fungicides on today's program and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Real happy to have Tamara Jackson Zims on with us right now down at University of Nebraska in Lincoln. Tamara, thanks so much for joining us.
5: Thank you for having me.
0: All right. I got a bunch of questions for you today, but let me start with this one because I know plenty of farmers down in Nebraska are probably asking you the same question. What's your level of concern in Nebraska for tar spot in corn this year?
5: Well, that that is a pretty hot topic right now as we've watched tar spot finally move into eastern Nebraska. And so... You know, there's a lot of things that we don't know yet that, uh, you know, it's hard to predict, but right now, you know, we, we don't expect tar spot to be severe immediately. Where we've seen it this past fall, it was very, very low incidence and severity, but weather conditions can drive that disease quickly, and uh, we're uh, a bit uncertain how the disease might react once it moves into areas where we've got heavy irrigation.
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah, that that is interesting when, when you're talking about uh, things are going to be wet a lot. And I know when we think about many of these diseases, the foliar ones, when you've got leaf wetness for extended periods of time, does that change the timing that you would run irrigation if you're trying to avoid that or are most of the irrigators in Nebraska just running around the clock?
5: You know, I think it depends on where you're at and what conditions are like. And, you know, some people are, maybe just a little more uh, on top of maybe managing irrigation than others. Uh, In the sandy areas where I live, often people seemingly turn it on and don't shut it off for most of the summer uh, to keep up with water needs. But, you know, I, I would be concerned about the humidity in the canopy and keeping the leaves wet for longer periods of time when you're talking about some of the important diseases like tar spot, where we know that it could be affected by that.
0: One disease, let me switch gears on you here, Tamara. Uh, one disease we've heard a lot about coming out of last growing season is fusarium crown rot. We talked to a number of growers that say, man, I've, I just hadn't seen so much fusarium crown rot before. Was there a reason that we saw more of that one? And is that one that if you had it last year, you should be more concerned about it going forward?
5: Well, I guess in reverse order, I you know, I would say We don't know a lot about this disease yet, but it's going to get more attention. Uh, uh, Bayer Crop Science has partnered with us at UNL to do some research on it starting this year. And so we hope to start to tease apart some of these questions and try to get some better answers. At the moment, we can't be certain what conditions may have driven that. We uh, only have some educated guesses at this point, and so... I would definitely be more wary and watchful for that disease because fusarium, the the fungal group, uh, can overwinter really well. And if you've had it once, like most things, you're likely to see it again if conditions are favorable again.
0: Yeah, it's always something every year, and I know last year was a pretty good year for Nebraska and corn yields, but of course there's there's a couple new diseases on the frontier, so uh, that, that's at the forefront of everyone's mind. How about any other concerns that you've got going into this year, Tamara? Is there any disease that you're really watching for or that you think growers are, are maybe underestimating?
5: I think tar spot's the one that we're watching most closely because there's a lot of uncertainties around that. So we're looking a lot to our neighbors to the east at all the research that they've done, like with the fungicide use and uh, some of the other things. Uh, But we shouldn't forget about any of the others. Anything else we've had in the past will have overwintered other than the rust diseases. And so uh, there's the potential we could see that. Right now we're so dry it's hard to imagine that uh, we'll see a lot of pressure. But uh, certainly, uh, if, if rainfall picks up again and with irrigation, we could, we could see that again. And so, I, I'd look for all the normal players if we once we start the season.
0: Well, Tamara, I know you've got a busy spring season coming up. Good luck to you. Thanks for all the work that you're doing down in Nebraska and thanks for being on the show today.
5: Thank you and thanks everybody. Have a safe growing season.
0: Set so out east, we've got our friend Kevin Matthews out in North Carolina. He's with the Extreme Ag Group and, of course, uh, one of the farmers we like to turn to with some of these questions. Now, Kevin, uh, first of all, thanks for joining us today.
6: Yes, sir. Glad Glad to be on.
0: Got a chance to talk to you last week a little bit about soybean fungicide in person. Uh, now we switch gears today talk a little bit about corn. And in the past, you've talked to us about that pre-tassel app and trying to cover the ear leaf. Boy, it made a lot of sense to us as as we've grown small grains and know how big a deal that flag leaf is. How big a deal is the ear leaf in corn?
6: Oh, it's huge. That's that's your life of the life of the pocketbook.
0: I was thinking about this too, the tassel time application, sometimes getting down to that ear leaf can be a little bit of a challenge, especially if we're going by air and not using many gallons of water. What application methods do you like to use? Are you a ground rig fan? Do you like to do stuff by air? Do you do things just a little different?
6: Well, the air is certainly an economical way of doing it. And it's a quick way. If you have an outbreak, you can cover a lot of acres extremely fast, but uh, your goal is to be out there, uh, you know, that, that, free tassel, tassel time uh, prior to pollination, or just after. I don't like doing it during
3: pollination.
6: Um, it's, it's just too risky. Although most, most of the fungicides are safe, it's just a surfactant shat in there. You can get in trouble. The getting it just prior to, it seems like you can get down in there better. We like the ground rigs. We use uh, haggy, and we also have a new Holland machine. We use both those. Um, both of them do an excellent job. Uh, I personally run the Haggy. My other guy runs the New Holland. I, I kind of like my Haggy, but volume-wise, the the key is a really good nozzle. We use a PenAir uh 3D nozzle for fungicide. It does a phenomenal job getting it down in there and just coating all the way down to the bottom of the canopy because those those diseases are going to start in the bottom and migrate up to that ear leaf. So it's really important that you get that whole stalk covered and we will typically run 15 gallons to 20 gallons an acre of carrier with that and that is uh that's really getting it in there it does a phenomenal job with those nozzles doing it with a ground rig the the aerial guys do a great job as well but in our environment it's it's just getting a little bit dangerous we use helicopters a lot and fields are small a lot of people a lot of trees you guys have been out here so it can get kind of tedious
0: Yeah, it can get kind of humid out there, too. Tamara Jackson Zims was just talking about the humidity under that canopy, and I totally agree with you. I love those 3D nozzles for coverage, and I love getting that plant covered so you don't have disease coming up from the bottom and and burning you later in the season. Um, You know, when I I look at all these applications, a lot of guys are doing some different things with the fungicides, whether it's foliar fertilizer or or other things. Are are you in that camp, too, where you're going to try and get multiple things done on those passes?
6: Uh, absolutely. Um, if I can do that, the pre-tassel application, uh, you know, I, I would like to do it about three, you know, four or five days ahead if I can. And I will throw, uh, you know, a finish line product in there, some micro 500, uh, different different products. Uh, I really like to get those, that boron in there, everything and some extra potassium. It's, it's just a good time that when it, that plant goes into that reproduction mode, it'll give it, just a little bit of boost to help ensure a good pollination, a good deep kernel set.
0: It can make a big difference in terms of yield, and I know the timings you're talking about before, just before tassel or right after tassel really critical in, in terms of yield. What do you see? I guess how big a deal is, is that fungicide application for you? Is it a 5% yield boost, a 10% yield boost, or, or something completely different?
6: Well, we're in an odd area for most most compared to most listeners, I would think. Uh, you know, a lot of the fungicides are tested here where we're at in this river valley, so it, it can be a it can be a fifty percent yield difference for us. I mean, it's a it's a big deal. We we are it ain't when we're going to have disease, it, or it ain't if we're going to have disease. It's when we're going to have it. We know we're going to have it every year, so it's part of our program. Now, our goal is to do it early and try to get by with with one fungicide application or two, but we really try to avoid that third application. We have had years when southern rust come up through and gray leaf spot, we've had to hit it four times. That's rare to do, but it can happen.
0: Well, when it can account for as much as half the yield when you get those diseases like that, uh, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth the investment, no doubt. Well, Kevin, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today, and good luck to you as you head into the spring listening to Ag PhD Radio.
2: We'll be right back. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Bailing, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing, feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com/farmall.
7: What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use Fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fears to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle, and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up
2: guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com.
0: Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD-TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more.
8: the next generation of weed control in wheat. Wide AR Match herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of wide match.
5: Mm Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top.
8: Wide R Match from Corteva Agriscience. It's not a typo, it's an upgrade. The AR stands for Arlax Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds and wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more.
0: Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio Broadcasting from the Martin Studio. We're talking about corn fungicides on today's program and taking your calls and agronomic questions. You can email us radio at agphd.com or just give us a call 844-44 AGPHD. Brian, couple questions on the fungicides here. There's multiple different modes of action out there, and this year a lot of growers are saying, Man, my first choice fungicide, my dealer doesn't have. My second choice, fungicide. My dealer says is tight supply. So we see a lot of guys switching from products that they had intended to use this year to, well, what's the best thing you got that's available? And I know that creates a lot of nervousness amongst the growers, but there are quite a few really good products out there.
1: Lots of really good products. Now, do I prefer some over others? Sometimes, yes, but that doesn't always mean that what I prefer is going to yield more because we just don't know what diseases are going to be out there, how severe they are, or what your timing is going to be on your spraying. I would say this, try to always be early. We always want to be in the early side with fungicides because they are great at preventing disease. They're not very good at curing disease, so you got to hit it really early. Anyway, in terms of products that are out there, our number one piece of advice is this, try to find something with multiple modes of action. Number two, if you can, try to pick some of the newer products. So rather than let's say old propiconazole tilt from 40-50 years ago, you might want a newer trizol, whether it's the Revisol from BSF, the Proline from Bayer, or something along those lines. So I'm just trying to say, if you can, we then want to drill down. Once we say, all right, we're getting two modes of action or three, drill down and say, okay, can I get the newer products rather than some of the older ones? If you can, great. If you can't, it's not the end of the world. Because even Tilt is, you're going to find that in, for example, Triva Pro. Triva Pro is a pretty good product. I'm not going to say it's the greatest. I'm certainly not going to say it's the worst. It's pretty good. And this year... I just have a feeling that a lot of things could pay if we're getting some rain, we have some disease out there, and with the way crop prices are, I'm going to feel pretty good spraying a lot of these different products.
0: You know, the other thing too, I, I just looked at the coverage and Kevin had made a few comments about that, that he, he really thought that nozzle selection was important, that having plenty of carrier out there to, to get that product in place with these fungicides, they're going to protect the leaf tissue that they cover. And I don't know, Kevin had made a comment about if you have a disease outbreak, you got to be quick getting out there. I think you're already too late. I, I mean, yes, maybe you can stop it from getting worse, but you've already got some damage out there. For the most part with fungicide applications we look at what are the critical timings and then we just make the decision, are we doing it or are we not? Are we gonna make that investment or not? And I think that's what you have to tell yourself on the farm. I I can get out there. I can make the application at this timing. It's a critical growth stage. uh, Like he was talking about getting the ear leaf covered and protected. That ear leaf is so, so important on corn. If you don't understand how important it is this year in your corn crop, just go out, take a, a little strip of row and break off the ear leaf on every corn plant and just see what kind of impact that has to your crop. It's huge. So that one's big, we can't get it covered by disease and, and lose all that power to feed the ear. So that's what one really critical stage. So you get the critical stage, you make your decision, is it worth it or not? Hey, we've got $5 corn, $7 corn, whatever it is. Hey, we've got 200 bushel, 300 bushel yield potential out there. There's a lot of dollars at stake. And I know fungicides aren't free, but when you look at how many dollars you're protecting, a lot of times they're going to be an awfully good investment. I'm not going to say every time because hardly anything is a good investment every time, but more times than not in most situations, if you're raising a decent amount of yield and especially when you've got a good price,
1: it's a pretty good investment for the money.
0: Any other comments on fungicides, Brent?
1: I guess the only other thing that I would say is normally you are probably waiting in your fungicide decision until it gets in season. But because of the product shortages this year, we would just encourage you try to decide early. It's real easy to cancel something off later or to return a product. But if you can't get it and you want it, that's what's very frustrating. So decide early and pick it up early.
0: All right. Let's step back into the Ag PhD mailbag. I got a question that came in from Trevor and he said, you guys talk about strip-toe quite often. I'm wondering can a st- Can a 12-row strip-till machine work with a 24-row planter? I'm fearful that the next strip pass could be off by just a few inches, causing seed placement outside the nutrient zone.
1: Great question, and that was our question as well, going back when we first started doing strip-till 15, 20 years ago. So we did a little study, and what we found is if we kept it within 5 inches, 5 inches one side or the other, our yield was virtually the same. You don't want to get off the berm or off the strip-till pass, if you can. I try to keep it on that. But it, it doesn't have to be exact. It doesn't have to be right in the center of that or anything like that. The reason why we wanted to do this testing is we have the exact same situation you're talking about, 24-row planter, 12-row strip-till machine. Plus, let me throw in another factor, we have contours. So when you've got hills and you're on the side hill, as you know, things don't track perfectly behind that. But anyway, we've, we've had good success, and you know what? If a plant here or there gets off a little bit and it suffers just a little, it, it's not the end of the world. We still like strip-till for fertility placement, number one, and number two, warming the soil.
0: All right. Thanks for the question. I uh, got this one in from Terry. Terry said, what is the best time to start tissue testing wheat before we do our top dress or after? Right now our wheat is just showing a few green tillers and other than that, everything else is still brown from being dormant.
1: Well, typically with corn and with wheat, we're going to say you want to start testing as soon as you start seeing growth. So wheat's a little different because if it's going to be winter wheat, then it's once it breaks dormancy and it starts to green up, that's when we would start doing tissue analysis. Now I'm not going to say we're basing our entire fertility program on corn or wheat with a tissue test or a few tissue tests doing it. We like to do it once a week, but it's good information so you can hopefully get a little bit better guide on how you're doing with your overall fertility program and spot maybe some of the weaknesses that could be out there. I still prefer the soil test and that's going to be the baseline for everything, but it is nice having that tissue information. Let me throw one other thing out because you mentioned top dress What happens in a lot of cases, and one of the biggest questions we get about nitrogen is, can I use my tissue analysis for a nitrogen recommendation? And my answer is always going to be no. I'm not using it for that, and here's why. With nitrogen, it is a nutrient that is needed in huge amounts by almost every crop out there, especially corn and wheat. And Well, tissue analysis is great at telling you what there is in the plant today. It is horrible at predicting anything. So tissue analysis is not predictive at all. It doesn't know if in the soil you have only 5 pounds left of nitrogen or if you have 500 pounds. Tissue analysis has no clue. So that's where we really like seeing what we call a pre-side dress nitrate test in corn, but it's just running a nitrate test costs five bucks, but you got to do a soil test. The other thing that you could do along with that to find out, okay, what is there for nitrate out there today? The other thing I'm always curious about is what's your soil's organic matter level? Now, granted, that's not going to change every year or anything like that. So if you just do a test once every five years, you'll know just fine, or at least... Close to it. But my point here is if I had 1% organic matter versus 7% organic matter, well, I'll tell you what, that 7% organic matter is going to release seven times as much nitrogen to your crop. And it's going to be lots and lots and lots of pounds that's going to come available over the course of the growing season. Well, that helps me a lot in planning, knowing, you know what, I got a good chance I'm going to get 140 pounds out between spring and fall. Now, granted, if it's wheat and you're going to harvest in the middle of the season, you're not going to get all that 140 pounds, but it's still nice to know.
0: All right. Thanks for the question. Got a little feedback here from Dave. And Dave said, guys, you were talking about what bales were are used for as a farm basics. And you didn't mention cotton bales. We got big round cotton bales and 500 pound rectangular lint cotton bales to maybe mention that next time you talk about bales. Hey, thanks Dave. We appreciate that comment. And yeah, I do see uh, when I drive through the cotton areas, I see those bales out there too. Didn't think about that. So thanks for the heads up. Get right back with more of your calls and questions after
2: this. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window, makes life simple, and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltema Fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltema Fungicide is not registered in all states.
8: When you're up in your sprayer, remember to look ahead into the future. Because if you've made the smart decision to plant Enlist E3 soybeans, now's the time to protect them with Enlist Herbicides. The superior tank mix flexibility easily allows multiple sites of action and keeps your weed control programs effective beyond just this season. Visit enlist.com to see how a better weed control system can help fight resistance on your field today and tomorrow.
5: Don't let resistant weeds win on your field. Herbicide resistant weeds are a fierce competitor of corn growers. Tough 5EC, a selective contact herbicide manufactured by Belgium Crop Protection, can help. Tough 5EC synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Add Tough 5 EC to your post emergence tank mix team and beat resistant weeds. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5 EC or visit belchumusa.com. Always read and follow label instructions.
0: Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at AgPhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of AgPhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming AgPhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com.
1: Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, along with my brother Darren. Right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag, Darren, what you got for us next?
0: Well, Brian, you've been talking about how we've already been out with the sprayer on we the have. farm. We have, and uh, Joe said, "All right, you guys are talking about this early, early spraying." I'm just wondering, are you doing any tillage on these fields in the spring, or or are they no-till, strip-till fields?
1: Uh, some of each. I don't have any problem doing tillage there. Some people worry about that, but I don't. What's the difference if I spray it today and work it today, or I spray it today and I work it two weeks from now? It, it It's it's no big deal. It's going to be fine. So yes, we like getting product out early for two main reasons. Number one, spreads the workload. It, it's not like we're running a big crew on our farm or anything, and we, we're trying to cover a lot of acres, get a lot of stuff done, and just think, okay, so think of how long it takes for you to plant on your farm. So we we farm about 3,400 crop acres. Now I want you to think about all these different trials and research and all the I'm gonna call it nonsense <laughs> that we're doing from time to time because sometimes it turns out terrible. But we've got our our guys in the farm doing all this stuff beyond what the normal farmer would do. So it takes us a fair amount of time. So I love getting the spraying done early. Anyway, that's reason one why we do this. Number two, we want better results always. I want to get if I'm gonna spend a dollar, I want to get two dollars or better yet, 3 or $4 out of whatever I'm spending. I don't want to get $0.75 cents back out of the dollar I invested. So I want the best bang for the buck possible, and the way you can do that with pre-emerge herbicides is you get it out there early. Now, i, I, I got to make sure that I'm very clear with this so you don't misunderstand what I mean by get it out early. I do not mean if you're going to plant a month from now, there are, the frost is already out of the ground. The weeds are growing and it's like it's going to be a jungle in a month. What I'm talking about is the ground's frozen and it's just thawing now. And it's going to be thawing over the course of the next month. We're hitting it mornings when the ground is still firm enough we can cross it. And then in the afternoons as that ground is thawing, then the herbicide will attach itself just fine to the soil. So that's the type of situation we're talking about. So in other words, we're not going to have weed growth for a month, maybe five weeks, maybe even six weeks, depending on what the rest of the spring looks like. That's when I like getting it out early. I do not like getting the herbicide out early. If we're going to have five or six weeks of weed growth using up the herbicide, I mean, you can do that. It's fine. It's just that now you're not going to have as much herbicide left when you plant the crop and you may not make it to crop canopy.
0: All right, uh, thanks for the question. i got this one from Ryan over in Minnesota. Unfortunately, Ryan had a dicamba drift issue happen on their farm, and, and they're working with a neighbor and an insurance company on on settling that. He said they had an issue with some Zidua giving a response in a number of their soybean fields, and they, they saw a heart-shaped or drawstring effect on the leaves. Was
1: that Zidua applied post or pre, did he say? Uh,
0: No but but they had somebody come out uh, mid June and take a look at that so I'm guessing that was put on post but that, that would be a good okay. follow-up question. But yeah. anyway, anyway, so they ahead. were told soybeans typically grow out of that and yield is unaffected. And they did notice in their other fields that where they saw that Zidua effect on the plant that they did see them grow out, didn't hurt yield. But unfortunately, in one field, they had a neighbor that sprayed on a day where the wind was blowing towards their field. Mm. So they had yep. dicamba that blew into their field and their yep. non-dicamba-tolerant soybeans. So yep. they, they had much lower yields in that area. Uh, And he said they they had the epinasty, the telltale symptom of dicamba damage. So a few dicamba questions, he said, because a neighbor did use a DRA or a drift retardant Mm -hmm. agent. And he said they also left a buffer strip, but the downwind, uh, the wind blowing was enough to move dicamba. Mm -hmm. He's wondering, because they don't, they're claiming it may not, may not have just been from them. uh, Is there really truth to this, that there is so much dicamba floating around that nobody can be held responsible and then also just wondering um, if there's anything they can they can do on this or or if if we think uh, that's something that if you, if they can show that the wind was from the right direction that they could get some help from that neighbor in their insurance.
1: Yeah, this is tough. So during our break here, just uh, let me give you a little behind the scenes. Darren says to me, "All right, do you want to cover this, Brian?" And I said, "Sure." I mean, it is a problem that's out there. And as I'm sure you know, here at Ag PhD, we do not shy away from the problems. We got to talk through this stuff. It's things we're going to deal with on the farm. Last year on our farm, we had about a thousand acres of soybeans. We were primarily corn last year, but we had about a thousand acres of soybeans. I think every single acre got hit by dicamba. It was all in list beans. I think every acre got hit by dicamba. Most of the
0: fields look the same from end to end. Yes. So it wasn't like on one end of the field next to somebody else's extend right. beans. They were bad.
1: It was right. all the way across the field. Now, one of the, the the biggest things that I've learned, a little opposite from my dad, was try to stay calm. When you get emotional, you do dumb stuff. You say dumb stuff. And I'm guilty of it, too. But I, I try to just be calm. And so when I'm looking at our fields and I see, oh, my God goodness somebody hit us with dicamba on this field and then I see go to the next field yep we're hit here yep we're hit there yep we're hit every single field well anyway I, I, I just stayed calm our, our yields were fine what actually hurt us last year on yield was hail on about half of our ground um, over 500 acres got hail pretty bad but where we didn't have hail we had some really good beans almost 80 bushel beans so I'm not going to complain that much overall if you just have light cupping from dicamba, typically it does not hurt yield. Or if it does hurt yield, it's very, very slight. And it's it's nothing that for me, I'm getting all worked up about. Now, if it was physical drift, that's different. Because then you can shorten the plants. And when you do, you are often going to hurt yield. So in that case, I would just say, I would, I would show the insurance company, okay, here's what's going on. And, you know, for the neighbor, it's really hard because the way that the label reads, the way that the training is out there, they're told, all right, you can do this. If you leave a buffer strip, the wind is less than a certain amount. You use the, the drift, retri- drift reduction agent. You do all the things. They did that. So what I'm trying to say here is I wouldn't take it out on the neighbor saying, well, you intentionally tried to do this. I I don't believe that most farmers are that way. In fact, almost none are that way where they're trying to intentionally hurt somebody else. They did what they were told to do, and it's just flat out dicamba moves. It's giving a lot of us in agriculture a bad name. It's creating bad blood sometimes between neighbors. And I I feel for you that this happened. I also feel for the neighbor because I'll... I'll almost guarantee you he wasn't trying to do that, and now you're mad at him, and he's like, I I don't know what to do. I'm just trying to kill my weeds. I followed the label. I did what they told me to do, and this is still happening. So this is part of the reason why I don't think we're going to see dicamba in soybeans long term. Uh, Five more years, ten more years, that's probably it. Or we're going to see restrictions to an earlier date. Southern Minnesota, for example. The date is now June 12th. It's not June 30th anymore in southern Minnesota. It's June 12th, and quite frankly, in our farm, I've told our guys in the past when we were doing di- using dicamba, I don't remember what date it was. I told them either June 10th or June 15th. I'm going to say June 10th, but maybe it's the 15th. But anyways, it was well before flowering would even start. I just want it done by then because if the drift comes after flowering, and I'm not saying you see the leaf cupping then, I'm saying when did the actual drift happen? Because sometimes it's two or three weeks before you see the symptoms on the leaves. If that's the case, then that usually tells me it was a very, very, very minute amount. So anyway, I realize I've given you a lot of stuff here, and you probably go, um, can you please answer my question? <laughs> okay, so I would just say there there is a fair amount of dicamba out there that's been drifting it's hard to prove where it came from but when you have other fields that weren't impacted and one field that really was and that neighbor was right there that's probably what i would use with the insurance company and hopefully something works out now i don't know how much yield you lost hopefully it wasn't much and this isn't that big a deal but yes all of us in agriculture unfortunately are having to deal with this and it's it's not a great situation
0: Nope, it sure isn't. Uh, thanks for the for the question, though. We really appreciate that. Uh, I got this one in from Scott, and he said, guys, we're talking about deep tillage, and another option that you didn't mention or, or could talk a little bit more about would be planting deep-rooted legume crops or root crops that could break compaction. I get it, though. Long rotations are just about extinct, but maybe it's time to review them in certain areas. Hey, Scott, really appreciate that comment. Yeah, there, there are certainly uh, – other options out there to break up compaction and, and putting something that, that gets a deep root on it can definitely be part of that package if you can work that into your rotation. Uh, thanks for the comment. Really appreciate that. Thanks to you for listening to, today, to today's show. I've been talking a lot about corn fungicides, and we got more questions coming into uh, the spring. So tomorrow's going to be all mailbag, all show long. It'll be like a Farmer Friday show, just done on a, a Wednesday instead thanks for listening to our show today be sure to join us again each weekday for more ag phd radio